Hi, I'm Phoebe. I'm co-founder of Beyond Ag, and I come from a background in architecture and mathematics. I'm Alex Arnold, the other co-founder of Beyond Ag, and my background is in research with genetics and agricultural science. So STEM backgrounds, excellent. So what is Beyond Ag? Beyond Ag is a new company that is looking at using insects to recycle food waste that would otherwise go to landfill into sustainable animal protein or feeds for the aquaculture uh, and poultry industries as well as pets. And we also produce a fertilizer that's really suitable for the growing organics industry. And where did this idea come from? In genetics, we use fruit flies a lot for molecular genetics research because they're really small, but they grow really quickly. They have lots of offspring. They grow without much water and they convert food very quickly into more insects. And all of these things are really applicable in an agricultural setting when we're tackling food security issues. You know, we're going to have 9 billion people on the planet. More people are going to be wanting to eat more meat. So there's a huge forecasted increase in demand for more protein, but we're running out of land to produce it on, so we need a radically new way to start producing all of this extra animal feed protein. It seems quite obvious to me that we can also solve the food waste problem by feeding the food waste to the insects and solving the protein problem at the same time. Are they worms? No, so they're called the black soldier fly. They're a species, they're in the fly family. They're very different from your regular house fly. They look kind of like a wasp, but they're friendly (laughs) <laughs> I promise. They don't spread any diseases or anything. And it's the, it's the larval stage and the big maggot stage that we're interested in. And so these little guys eat our food waste? That's right. So they eat anything that would come from a kitchen or a, a food processor. So, you know, McCain's or bird's eye or something like that. And they eat it really quickly. It's about 10 times faster than composting. And the insects themselves, they grow about 3,000 times bigger in 12 days doesn't require any additional water. All the water that they need comes from the food waste itself. They can be farmed in a warehouse. They don't need irrigated land or anything like that. They can be farmed vertically. The insect uh, is very amenable to automation. Gates, Jobs, Bezos and Zuckerberg. No need to even give a first name. These names are synonymous with some of the most successful companies today. And maybe someday we can add Phoebe and Alex to that list. Sadly... These are mostly American men, but for better or for worse, they are well-known examples of people who took a little nugget of an idea and turned it into a global brand. And maybe someday we could add Phoebe and Alex and your names to this list as well. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Secret Life of STEM. My name is Erin Grant and I'm a PhD student in physics here at the University of Melbourne. In this episode, producer Buffy Gorilla and I are going to open up the entrepreneur's toolbox to show you some of the skills you need to become an entrepreneur, plus a whole lot of grit and determination. Let's start at the top, where all good innovation should start. Or should they? Let's get some help from someone who's been there. My name is Greg Nielashi, and I'm a fellow at the Wade Institute of Entrepreneurship at Ormond College at the University of Melbourne, and I also teach at the Faculty of Business and Economics in Marketing and Entrepreneurship. I used to be an entrepreneur because I I used to run my own advertising agency for a while, and then I also was head of uh, innovation at a consultancy in New York where I worked, and so I guess I... um, I practiced it, and then I learned a whole lot more about it since I've been here at the university, and this has been now eight years. 
And I always say to my students, I wish I had known maybe like 10% of what I learned since when I was doing it because I was pretty much just going, you know, by the seat of my pants. And I probably made a lot of mistakes. And had I known some of the stuff that we teach at Wade, I would have been much better off. Since this is a university, some of the ideas come from the research that academics around here are doing. Let's look at one concrete example. It's a startup that helped architects and builders to create weird-shaped concrete pieces. Concrete is really difficult to mould into curves and, and sort of odd shapes. And this startup had a technological innovation of how to do that, how to create that mould. Okay? And so the IP resided with some folks in the engineering department. By the way... IP stands for intellectual property. But then they partnered with students at the Wade Institute who were experts on, you know, how to do the business side, the entrepreneurship side. So you put these two things together and then you have a startup that it's on its way to success, hopefully. I went to the Melbourne Accelerator Program, or MAP, as it's known around here. It's where I met Alex and Phoebe of Beyond Ag. I got to chat with some of the other early-stage entrepreneurs, and guess what? I met... Hello, I'm Warren Rudd, and I'm a co-founder of CurveCrete. Hi, I'm Daniel Prohaski, and I'm a co-founder of CurveCrete as well. This is the company, and these are the founders Greg was just talking about. Warren and Daniel are making impossibly curved concrete panels, and they're using flash, which is leftover coal. The Curve Creek guys are able to reuse something that would normally just be a waste product to create a sustainable new product. So the, the original innovation came from the Melbourne School of Design with Paulo and, and David Leggett and myself, um, Daniel. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's just audio so you can't see me. Um, but yeah, the original innovation was more about how you create building products in a sustainable way in a more broad context and then we narrowed down to concrete from that method of manufacturing. The manufacturing method was the center of the innovation as about um, using robotics to to form beautiful curves. Um, could have been any material really. Now we focus on concrete because we, we see that the commercial benefits and the maximum amount of impact that we can make with this innovation we think is in concrete because it's a very carbon dioxide intensive manufacturing process so typically concrete uh, contributes to about you know 80% of its mass in co2 emissions so every ton of concrete that's produced produces about 800 kilo of of co2 don't worry we'll hear more from daniel from Curvecrete in just a little bit. So, you have your idea. You've heard two of them so far, flies and concrete. But how do you get from a great idea to a great company? It's probably harder than it sounds, right, Greg? That's right. So there's quite specific skills that you need as an entrepreneur. There's different schools uh, for teaching entrepreneurship, but the new school, the school that we teach, is built basically on three pillars. One is called Lean Startup. There's Agile Development, and there's Design Thinking. So these are three different approaches to entrepreneurship, but they are all modern, and they are different from an old-school approach. Lean Startup, Design Thinking, Agile, they are all much more iterative, which is to say that you actually don't invest a whole lot of 
your time and money into something elaborate before you know whether it works in the marketplace. Instead, you dip your toes into the marketplace first very quickly and then you change. You pivot, we say. So pivot means that you make a fundamental change in your business model. The fundamental commonality between these three approaches is to start with the consumer. To me, I'm, you know, I'm from marketing. I work for an advertising agency and a market research firm where I was head of R&D. You know, to me, it's natural to always think about the consumer. I wouldn't do anything without thinking about the consumer. But it's not necessarily where a lot of entrepreneurs would, would start. It's not necessarily where a lot of engineers would start. People tend to, uh, especially technical founders who are really, I guess, passionate about the technological solution, think of the solution first. And it's only secondary whether someone would like it or pick it up or whether there's a real market for it. Often what we see is technologies chasing markets. So people have something as we've talked about this before, translating suggests sort of that approach. You have something, then you translate it into the marketplace. This modern school of entrepreneurship says, start with the market, and then you back-translate, or you back, you know, you go back into what your technology kind is. Kind of reverse engineer. Almost like you reverse engineer it. It's almost like you're digging a tunnel from both ends, right? You're digging from the market, as well as you have some technology that's hopefully unique, and then you meet in the middle. But if you're just digging from the tech side, you may never find, you know, a market. And speaking of reverse engineering, here's Danielle Golopoulos looking at how targeted advertising works. This is a real moneymaker for companies like Google and Facebook. Hi, I'm Danielle, and today I'm going to explain to you the concept of ad targeting, which sounds really boring, but don't worry, it isn't. I actually hate hardcore science, but I do like scientific explanations and I'm interested in a lot of things. I'm an art student doing a media communications degree, which basically means I love talking and writing and hate anything boring or loaded with scientific jargon. So I know that if I'm falling asleep in the explanation, you would be too. Okay, so I'm sure we've all wondered how Google knew that we were looking for a new phone or that we were secretly online dating. <laughs> And the way Google does it, it's pretty simple. Their algorithms track all our online searching activity. Like when you sign into Gmail on your phone browser, Google has now linked your entire browser with your Google account. It doesn't matter if you sign out at the end of your Gmail session. Since it's the browser that's logged in, anything you search on Google can now be tracked and linked back to your Google account. And even if you were evasive and didn't give out much information in the Gmail sign-up process, you can pretty much be sure that Google at least knows your name, the names of the friends that you email, and the kinds of emails you like to write, which gives a name and social network to your search history as well. This is how Google target ads. Now they can see everything you search and click on, they can guess what might interest you in the future. For example, searching best 2018 science fiction novels tells Google that you are interested in sci-fi and reading. And searching Baldwin Cinema Session Times shows not only that you like movies, but that you probably live in the suburb of Baldwin. Google can even be sexist. Guessing your gender and age based on your interests and searches. For example, Googling best restaurants in Parkville can lead Google to discover that you're affiliated with the area of Parkville and Melbourne Uni, which probably means that you're a student there and likely between the ages of 18 to 24. 
So now we know how they do it, we can get Google to stop pestering us with wrongly deducted ads or embarrassing ads for health insurance or new underwear. Instead of just clicking dismiss on every wrong ad, we can hack into the profile that Google has created for us and alter it. All we need to do is Google search, what does Google know about me? And click on the second result by a website called Medium. This web page has links which will take you to a secret Google page that shows you your Google profile and lists all that Google has deducted about you. On this page, you can alter Google's deductions so that they know more, or depending on your interests, less about what you really care about. Make the algorithms work for you and not for Google. So there you go. The next time you're looking at a wrongly deducted ad for hotels or health insurance, you know the secret to Google's brains. And now, like a clever citizen or a science type, you can hack into those brains and change what Google knows and thinks about you. If only we could do that for people in real life. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's it for me. I hope you learned something. And if you're listening, it means you're still awake. So thanks for listening right to the end. Good luck in your science adventures. And don't be one of those boring scientists. Be a compelling communicator. Thanks, Danielle. I always learn so much from these segments. If you've got your great concept and you are armed with some business skills to scale it so the world can benefit, where does STEM figure into some of these innovations? Daniel at Curvecrete showed me how their innovation uses STEM back at the map offices. Oh my God, that's so cool. So I'm looking at, I'm going to do some fast math. 12 concrete panels. Oh, <laughs> I'm out now. Science, technology, engineering, medicine. You got it, yes. So, so STEM, so what? Um, so let's go backwards. All right, so tell me how these 12 concrete panels utilize STEM. Okay, so let's do this backwards. So M for mathematics, each panel is a ruled surface, which is a hyperbolic paraboloid. So the way that you describe this saddle curvature, like a Pringle chip or a saddle on a horse, we can describe those with ruled rulings <laughs> that, are, that are straight along the surface and sort of twisted. And each panel is a quad panel, so it has four edges. So it's like a, a rhombus or a rhomboid, if you like. Um, and it's like a twisted rectangle and um, some are more like a diamond shape than others so you sort of so they're not equal equal sizes no they're they're all different um, but they're all produced by the same robotic method so the single mold is reusable over and over again that's where the engineering so the e comes in where we use you know, mechatronics and robotics to design a control system um, using that mathematical method the M to drive that mechanical process. Where are we up to now? Technology. So <laughs> using digital fabrication techniques, we can fabricate these sort of custom robotic systems, create our own custom components to produce the, the mechanical mold, but also, say, in the structural frame that's behind that's holding up all the panels. Um, there's some digitally fabricated tubing that's drilled with a robot There's some uh, water jet cut steel plate connection details that have been used and structurally optimised using engineering principles. The science and the material. So concrete that I was talking about before that's low carbon 
is called geopolymer uh, cement. And typically, standard cement called Portland cement is very alkali in nature, so it's very basic. It's the opposite of acid. So the, the fly ash that you get from coal power plants um, as a waste product needs an alkali stabilizer to be able to activate its chemical reaction. That sounds like the S to me. I think we've got our backward stem. You add in some caustic soda that you can find in your home, mix that in with flash and alumina silicate, which is another component to it to add to the silica content of the, the cement. Then you fuse all that chemical reaction together and you've got a basic cement reaction that you can create with a waste product um, that's actually incredibly strong. So it's got the equivalent strength of Portland cement and you can you know, produce all of these wonderful panels with it with about 80% reduction in CO2 emissions. And may I tap it? Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it really is very strong and very thin. Hey, listeners, if you have an idea that you believe is the best idea ever, here's Greg with some thoughts of how to test the waters to see if your innovation has what it takes to make it. And it's not all success stories. The first thing I would do is I would test it. You can read up on Lean Startup and how this works, and I think those materials that you find online, for example, Steve Blank, the Lean Startup guru, it's a lot of materials about how an idea is translated into something workable. You cannot just sit on an idea and think that the idea will carry the day. In fact, ideas are overrated. You might not want to hear this. And I worked in advertising, which was pretty much the same situation where you know, on the one hand, we love ideas because they are manifestations of creativity, and it's great. But the problem is that ideas are cheap, and they are cheap to copy, and they are cheap to dream about. But the reality is real entrepreneurship starts with testing with the market, finding a market, finding the best customers. And often that means actually giving up your idea or changing your idea so much that you don't recognize it. Uh, we see entrepreneurs, students, as well as others in some of these programs who love the idea so much that they don't want to let go, even when they get direct feedback from the marketplace that it will never work. Okay, so in addition to finding an idea, here's another thing you need to add to your to-do list. Become resilient and develop a thick skin. We're ready, Greg. What else have you got? I would also look at competition. So it's a fundamental pillar of strategy that you're not alone, unfortunately. However great your idea is, there's always competitors, either directly or indirectly. So again, that's depressing in a way, right? Because you, it's saying, well, there's others who did the same or very similar. Noted. And here's a recap from Greg with his final point, which you may want to file away for future you to look at someday, soon. An entrepreneur is a strange person who, who is able to resolve that conflict. Right? So on the one hand, uh, believes in the idea enough to venture in even when it looks you know, not realistic, but at the same time, realistic enough to do something that the market will like. So I would, yeah, so customer centricity, looking at the competition and certainly life experience. So getting an internship or getting, you know, mentored by someone who's done something in that area or, or any entrepreneurial activity would matter a whole lot. And again, this is not to, you know, dismiss the dreamers. I'm a dreamer myself, you know, I, I, 
but you need this sort of heavy dose of um, uh, reality check. Because as Martin Elhay, a business development manager at the University of Melbourne, says, it can be a long process to get a STEM idea to market, depending on which letter of STEM you are interested in. It really depends in what area and in the kind. Now, I don't have um, a lot of experience in the engineering mm-hmm. world, um, although I've had some exposure recently to that. And it feels like it can be easier in areas that are not regulated to the same degree. And I think that sometimes when it's not medicine, when it's not veterinary science, you can actually find pathways for a product that could be more immediate. And so you find people already starting companies on detecting water stress in plants using drone technology and imaging. That's happening at this university already. And that's taking months and years rather than decades. Mm. But if you've identified, um, say, a pathway in cancer, for example, the Netaclax is a super cool cancer-melting drug. But hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Which has mm. taken 30-odd years. You know, that's the kind of timeline we're talking about. So there's uh, different timelines for different things, depending on the regulatory requirements and also the way that the dice fall. I mean, science is a, an activity that there's a lot of failure in, so, you, you know, you just don't know which, where it's going to go. Let's go back to Buffy at MAP. She's tracked down another entrepreneur who has been part of MAP for over a year. My name's Zoe Milne and I'm co-founder of Looplearn. And what is Looplearn? Looplearn is computer vision technology that's designed to automate attendance recording processes. So being able to basically use small camera computer devices that will be able to do people counting and be able to mark the role automatically in schools and um, in different environments as well. And how did you identify that this was a problem that needed solving? I've worked in schools um, for kind of five or six years before I decided to come out and develop Looplan. And just working in that environment, you see the pains that teachers have and administration officers and all of these issues that can be solved with new technology. And then when I was doing some research around computer vision, uh, facial recognition, just out of interest, we realised that we could build a solution for schools that has evolved into other industries as well that can be something that you know we were capable of building we're really interested in what advice would you give to a year 10 student who has an idea but isn't sure what to do next with that idea talk about it take that idea and start positioning it to a whole range of different people and try to align it with a problem so if it's an idea who is going to benefit from it and what is either the problem that that's going to be solved or how is it going to improve people's lives dramatically? Like, why are they going to want it? The only way you're going to find that out is by going and talking to as many people as you can about it. This talking to people is a recurring theme, so you may need to dust off your conversation skills. One tip distilled down from the teachings of Seth Godin, a marketing guru from the U.S., Be the same person in every room. So figure out who that might be and stick to it. Here's Zoe again about becoming a people person. It's definitely something that you grow into with confidence. There's being a people person, but that's different to being a strategic leader. The confidence that 
you know, you don't always feel, <laughs> but you have to demonstrate so that your team feel confident, your customers feel confident. Sometimes it can be, you know, lead by example and you might have self-doubts, but you've just got to think it through and make sure that you've got the, you know, the reasons why you're making a choice really sound in your own mind, discuss it with people, get the right feedback on that as well. And then you just persevere. So, you know, being a people person or being um, confident 100% isn't what it's all about. Lots of the ideas that come out of universities are trying to make the world a better place. Recycling food into animal feed or flash into concrete and using capitalist methods are just the best way to scale those ideas so they can have a bigger impact on the world. Here's Martin Alhay with another example of two of the oldest games in the world working hand in hand. Science and business. Um, I suppose that uh, that Venetoclax story is probably one of the ones which makes me think that, uh, and that's not my story, that's, that's, uh, that's actually a colleague of mine, uh, David Vo, at the Walter and Lies Hall Institute. And he and I did our PhDs at the same time. And uh, while he was there, he made certain discoveries. And then people that he worked with later and others um, developed drugs that inhibited a particular gene. That's a very simplistic way to put it. But the point is, is that that drug then was taken up by a couple of drug companies that worked together to now get this drug on the market, which is now making cancers melt. I mean, this is a fantastic sort of story, and uh, this drug is now registered in the United States, Europe, and now recently in Australia, I believe. So we're seeing a fantastic story where pure academic science has led to a very good industry collaboration, a very good business development team at the Walter Lies Hall Institute under Julian Clark, getting the Mm. deal that led to a very good result, which is benefiting society. If you find yourself a million-dollar thought and have the grit to grow that idea into a successful business, there are ways to balance your wealth with doing some social good. Bill and Melinda Gates launched their foundation in the year 2000, and they're using all that Microsoft money to focus on healthcare, education, and ending poverty. Steve Jobs' widow funds education and media initiatives. There are so many ways companies are trying to pay it forward and help the world be a better place. And if you're not an idea-generating machine, no worries. There are other ways to approach innovation. So there was this guy, Brian Fahey. He walked into Stanford University Hospital looking for problems. During his six-week stint at the hospital through the Stanford Biodesign's Entrepreneur Training Program, Faye and four of his classmates found about 350 problems or unmet clinical needs. Over the course of 10 months, these fellows on the Stanford course carefully whittled them down to those with possible solutions. Sometimes, by embedding yourself into a situation and thinking about it differently, you can see a problem that is desperate for a solution. This could mean improving an existing innovation, or it may mean inventing something totally new. Remember Zoe? She drew on her experiences working in schools to develop Loop Learn, and she has some thoughts on this very topic. In general, we jump to creating solutions before understanding problems. And we see that a lot. There's a lot of different startups and different companies out there that will try to perfect a product and then go and find a market that wants to buy it. And it doesn't really solve the problem because they haven't taken the time to go and understand it. I think new things or adapting existing things. Either way, they're going to take innovation and a new approach. But at the end of the day, it always is going to come back to 
go and talk about it. <laughs> go and make sure that whatever you're redesigning or building from scratch is actually solving that problem and make sure that you're continuing to get that feedback every step along the way. Time for some credits. This series was made possible by the University of Melbourne. Thanks to everyone who shared their stories. This episode was hosted by me, Buffy Gorilla, and my co-host was Aaron Grant. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. The reverse engineering segment on targeted advertising was researched and presented by Danielle Galopoulos with editing and sound design from Sylvie Van Wall. This podcast is produced and edited also by me and the supervising producer and science advisor is Dr. Andy Horvath with additional production support from Arch Cuthbertson. You can explore the range of STEM courses the University of Melbourne has to offer by visiting study.unimelb.edu.au. We'll pop a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Oh, you're going to add outtakes to this. You're surprised by outtakes will probably be the outtake. It'll be super meta.